I said last week when we took a break from 2 Kings that we would be back there this week. I was wrong. We're not back in 2 Kings. We, Lord willing, will get back to 2 Kings and uh, finish the book up. Although I will admit that I am delighted to have a break from preaching through one book. Uh, sometimes I get stuck and feel like I'm just repeating myself because the book feels like the same things over and over again. So maybe it'll be a help to you guys to not hear some of those same things over and over right now, but to have a couple weeks break. So what am I preaching on this morning? Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now without looking, does anybody know what that is? I, I mean, I expect all of you do, right? You all know your Bibles and the references and specific chapters and verses. Anybody want to give the answer that I know you all know? No, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I wouldn't have been able to tell you what those verses were. Um, I'm terrible with references. This short little section of Luke, again, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, is about Mary and Martha. It's a famous passage, one that you guys have certainly heard and read. You've undoubtedly heard references to it, maybe sermons on it. <clears throat> it's an important passage. Of course, I could say that about every passage that I preach on. There's actually a reason that I'm preaching on this. Oftentimes, after I preach a sermon, somebody will come up to me and be like, wow, you were preaching right to me. And I'll realize that they think that uh, I was choosing the content of the sermon or the text and so forth because of conversations that I had had with them or because of things I had heard that were going on in their life. And it's not uncommon for me to say to them after the service, you know, I can understand why you would think that, but you know, you didn't even cross my mind while I was writing that sermon. This is not one of those times. The reason I'm preaching this sermon is because of many conversations that I have had and began thinking, what is it that needs to be preached for this church, for these people right now? There is something about our service to one another in hospitality that is often going wrong. And so let's, let's study something that will be helpful to us today. And I think the story of Mary and Martha will uh, be very helpful to us because it is easy uh, for us to read this passage and to come away with exactly the wrong message. Now, Scripture is understandable. And so I hope that as I preach, if you have had a wrong understanding about Mary and Martha, you will see, obviously, that what I'm saying is true and right and have your perception corrected. Okay? 
but I think that it, this is an example of a passage that it's easy for us to get wrong. It's easy for us to take away the wrong message. So let's just start by reading these five verses. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted by all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's just walk through this text quickly and then more slowly we examine some of what we find in there. The first verse, verse 38, what's going on? Jesus is traveling with some of his disciples. And in that very verse, Martha practices wonderful hospitality, welcoming Jesus into her home. The next verse Verse 39, Martha's sister Mary sits and listens to Jesus at his feet. Now, so far, this is a beautiful picture. If this is where the story of Mary and Martha stopped and then it just continued on into some of what he taught there, the sermons that would be preached, if if someone was to narrow it down to Mary and Martha, would be on the glory of hospitality. And the, and the joy of sitting and listening to Jesus teach. The beauty of having him in your home and being able to sit and listen to him. But, in verse 40, the story continues. Martha is distracted, worried, bothered by her service. And so she appeals to Jesus to correct Mary's laziness and selfishness and instruct her to help out. Then in verses 41 and 42, we see Jesus correcting Mary, uh, correcting Martha's distraction, reminding her of what is important And commending Mary instead of correcting her. Okay, so that's the story summarized longer than it takes five verses to record for us, right? Let's start with Jesus correcting Martha. Jesus corrects Martha and indirectly he compares her to Mary. 
What is the contrast between Mary and Martha? You can't read this passage without understanding that there's a contrast between Mary and Martha, right? Martha is corrected. Mary is commended. They're sisters. They're in the same home at the same time with Jesus there. One of them is corrected. One of them is commended. Kids, do you know what commended means? What does it mean? I, it's, you know, it, it's the alliteration. Corrected and commended. I can't not do it. But commended isn't a very useful word if we don't know what it means. What does it mean? Come on. One of you kids can tell me, right? Yeah, go ahead. Praised. Yes. So Jesus is saying, Martha, you're wrong. And Mary, you got it right. What, though? What is the contrast between Mary and Martha? And the thing that I think we often want to do is to say that Martha's problem is she chose to serve. Martha's problem is she chose to serve. Mary chose the better thing by choosing to not serve. That can't be and have any connection with this text. If Martha had not chosen to practice hospitality and to serve, Mary would have no ability to sit at Jesus' feet. And so, that's where I want us to start out recognizing it's easy for us to take away the wrong understanding of this passage. It's easy for us to get this wrong. It can't be that practicing hospitality is the worst. It can't be that practicing hospitality is what is being corrected here. You follow? It's impossible for it to be in this passage, let alone if we bring in other passages and interpret Scripture with Scripture, which is fundamental to our understanding, right, of any passage. We need to, if anything is unclear, we need to take what is clear in Scripture and apply it. But even just in this passage, without looking elsewhere about hospitality, we know that doesn't make sense. Mary can't be sitting at Jesus' feet in Martha's home unless Martha practices hospitality first. So that's not the contrast. Right? Are you all with me so far? Now let's look at some other passages. Just one will do. Matthew 25, 45. You guys will remember this it's another famous passage where Jesus is talking to two groups of people, those who have done and those who have not done what are necessary. And he's saying, he's commending the one group. And what are the things that he commends them for? Feeding, clothing, visiting, a cup of cold water, right? Do you remember this? And the people who are condemned are the people who have refused 
to do those things. So when we read Matthew 25.45, those who refuse to take in strangers and practice hospitality are condemned by Jesus when he says, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. If you did not practice hospitality to the least of these, you did not practice hospitality to me. Now, just think about that for one minute, and you realize that that not only requires that you practice hospitality to the least of these, but it assumes that you know automatically that you must practice hospitality to Jesus. If you don't know that, then the passage can't make any sense. The verse becomes meaningless. Because that's what they are condemned for. Not practicing hospitality to Jesus. Right? They didn't do it to the least of these, therefore they didn't do it to him, therefore they are condemned. Martha was required to take Jesus in. Required. Are you, are you in agreement? Are you seeing it? Martha was honored to take Jesus in. You couldn't ask for a better opportunity if you've got a house than to have Jesus come to your house. Now, many people don't get that in the Bible. You remember reading about the Pharisees who would have Jesus in and so forth, and, and they didn't honor him, and they weren't they didn't feel honored. They felt compelled to some degree, right? But actually they felt dirtied because he hung out with the unrighteous. Because he spent time with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the wicked people of this world, right? The dirty scum of the earth. And so a lot of people didn't know that it was such a glorious thing to be able to have Jesus come into their home. But Martha... Martha comes to the option and she says, yes, come. Come into my home. Receive my hospitality. Right? It's a good thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing that she does. And Martha loves Jesus. You read other passages about Mary and Martha, you know that their affection and their love for him is deep and abiding. So we must honor Martha for her hospitality if we're going to get this passage right. We must honor her for her hospitality. And yet, Martha clearly gets something wrong. Remember, she's the one that's corrected and Mary is the one that is commended, praised. And yet, in spite of the fact that she is the one that's in the wrong, when she approaches Jesus, she is absolutely certain that she is right. Isn't she? She's dead certain that she's right. Why is she so sure that what she's about to say is right? Well, think about it. She knows what we were just reminded of. The importance of hospitality. She's practicing hospitality. Clearly, 
This is not in the wrong. So she's doing the right thing. She also is quite sure that Mary is being lazy and selfish. And after all, doesn't it look like Mary's being lazy and selfish? Mary's sitting down. Martha's up working. Well, let's start by acknowledging that many are selfish and lazy. And if Mary had been being selfish and lazy, Jesus would have corrected her. Now, <clears throat> this is one of those places where doing the same thing with different motives, totally different thing. You've, you, you've maybe heard me say in the past, you can do the right thing for the right reason, you can do the wrong thing for the right reason. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You can do the wrong thing for the wrong reason. Those are the options, right? And all four of those you, it's, uh, get, get even more confused because we've got multiple motives. So we know we, we've got wrong motives messing with all four of them, right? But, but set apart, simplify it just to those four. Like if you've really got one main reason for what you're doing, okay, uh, three of those four are bad. Three of the four are bad. Doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason is bad. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason is bad. And doing the right thing for the wrong reason is bad. So if doing the right thing is sitting down, but you're doing it because you're lazy... It's wrong. Are you tracking? It's wrong. You can't say, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. When you are doing it because you're lazy, because you're selfish, because you want to rub somebody else's face in the fact that you're better than them, because all the many different motivations that we have that can be wrong make the good thing corrupt. Okay, but that's not what's going on with Mary. Martha's sure she knows what's going on with Mary. Martha's wrong. Nevertheless, many people are indeed sitting down because they are lazy, selfish, and rude. Okay. You may not take Mary's sitting down as justification of you being lazy, selfish, and rude. Because if Mary was being lazy, selfish, and rude, Jesus would have corrected her. He says nothing of the sort. He says that she has chosen the good part. And so clearly, the reason Martha is so sure she's right is because it's so common. It's so common for us to be lazy and selfish and rude and so to leave work to other people. In fact, Martha is so sure, get this, Martha is so sure that he, she even goes so far as to rebuke Jesus. Let's read it again. Martha, verse 40, was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now, you can't read that without using that tone of voice. Right? And even if, you, even if you deny it and say, oh yeah, yeah, I can see another way of saying that, you end up at the same point, which is Martha telling Jesus what to do. Okay, there's something wrong with this picture. Who tells who what to do? Jesus tells Martha what to do, not Martha telling Jesus what to do. Are you kids tracking? This is simple stuff, right? Okay, you're all with me? Now, how often do you kids tell your parents what to do? Simple stuff. Can you see it in this passage? Martha is corrected by Jesus because, in part, she's trying to tell Jesus what to do. She's trying to correct Jesus. She's not just telling him what to do, she's correcting him. Well, I was just asking. You know, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, it's a command ask, right? This is, kids, you're very good at this. I want a cup of water. Are you going to ask me for something? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was. That's, that's what I meant to be doing. I was just asking. Don't you see that I'm doing all the work? Don't you see how thirsty I am? So, can I have a cup of water, please? Now, you guys... What are we going to take away from this passage? This is one thing we ought to take away from this passage. Don't tell Jesus what to do. And, and not only that, but you remember that one of those great Ten Commandments is about honoring your father and mother, right? You don't tell your parents what to do either. You don't tell your teachers what to do. You don't tell the pastor what to do. This is, a, this is a picture of something that's wrong. Martha speaking to her Lord this way, right? Think of the hubris. She's so sure she's right. Here she is in the presence of her Lord. And she thinks he's a typical clueless man. Not noticing what needs to be done. Right? Isn't that what's going on here? Martha is like, Jesus, I thought better of you. You're not normally the typical man who's clueless about what needs to happen. Aren't you going to tell Mary to help? Again, can we acknowledge that many men are this way? We can. We must. And yet, was Martha correct? Martha was not correct. Now, how many women assume the same thing about their own husbands? Remember that Sarah called her husband Lord. 
how do you speak to your husband? I've already talked to your kids for you. Right? Okay. How many wives assume the same thing about their husbands and are just as wrong as Martha was? Maybe not just as wrong because, of course, you're not married to Jesus. <laughs> but wrong nevertheless, both to speak this way and often wrong about what is going on. Martha has lost the plot. Jesus has not. Mary has not. Martha has. And how often does a wife get distracted and worried and careworn by many things and lose the plot and then get angry at her husband when in fact he is remembering what is important? Leave the dishes alone and come in here. How selfish. I'm going to have to do them tomorrow. I have so much to do tomorrow. He would never lift a finger to help. All of the distractions and cares are still there, right? Now, I will, I will say... <clears throat> It's very, very easy to remain worried and distracted by these cares, right? Very easy to not receive any correction. Now, husbands, it's also very common for you, even if you had understood at, up until that point what the one main thing was, to lose track of it when your wife talks to you that way. Right? Instead of bringing your wife back to the one necessary thing, you either give up correcting her at all, or you get angry and selfish yourself. Martha is wrong. Jesus does not just leave her. He corrects her. He does not just flip out at her either. He gently corrects her, doesn't he? And he corrects her both about herself and about Mary. And isn't it interesting that he doesn't talk about himself? Now, the irony, of course, is that Martha, having forgotten the one thing that is necessary, the one thing that is necessary is Jesus. But he only talks about it that way. 
you've forgotten the one thing. <laughs> Only one thing is necessary, right? He talks about her and her heirs. And he talks about Mary and what she's gotten right. But overlaying the whole thing is one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Jesus is that one thing that is necessary. Now this is so easy to say and so hard to understand. I mean, it sounds holy and so therefore it's easy to say. It's obviously right. At least, even if it's not obviously right in this passage, it's something that nobody could object to me saying. Right? And yet, it also can easily have no import, no content. It's just like this holy phrase. Jesus is the one thing. It's like Jesus is the reason for the season. We're good at this, right? We come up with these phrases like, Jesus is the reason for the season. And then the next thing you know, there's magnets all over a Lincoln Escalade. Did I get it right this time? Is it Lincoln? Doggone it. <laughs> Cadillac Escalade. It's all, there's, there's, there's Christmas tree magnets all over an Escalade. And they all say, reason for the season. And if you can guess how many there are, you get the Escalade. This was the corruption of the Christian Booksellers Association. It was the first thing you saw when you walked into the multi-football field convention center of booths and displays. This is, this is what money is in books and gifts and Christian candies and bookmarks and video games and software. And it's overwhelming. And when you walk in, that's what you see. Reason for the season. How can, where is the ambiguity? So when I say Jesus is the point, right? It better have some deeper meaning than just this easy to say Christianese thing. So let's study it. If Jesus is the one thing that is necessary, what's gone wrong with Martha? Martha has forgotten the one thing that is necessary. Thus, she is practicing hospitality wrongly, and she misjudges Mary as well. That's, that, those things that we've already talked a little bit about flow out of the fact that she has forgotten the one thing. Because it would be very easy for her to get her judgment of Mary right if she had remembered the main thing. She'd look at Mary and be like, oh, yeah, that's what this is all about. So let's think for a second about practicing hospitality wrongly. What do we see about Martha in her hospitality? It says she's distracted, worried, bothered by many things, and that is contrasted with the one thing that is necessary. Worried, distracted, 
many things, one thing necessary. Now, there have been people who have taken that to mean that if she had simply made one dish, you know, and, and then everything would have been fine. Okay, I, I, that's not what it says. That's just not what it says. There is an element of truth to that that we need to get to. But that is not the one thing. Because the contrast between Martha and Mary is in one of them getting the one thing and one of them not. And Mary, it doesn't say, helped a little bit and then sat down. It just says she was sitting at Jesus' feet. So the contrast that we're seeing here between Mary and Martha is not uh, one of amounts of service. When, when Jesus speaks of her being bothered by many things and then contrasts it with one thing being necessary, he's trying to turn her mind away from thinking about hospitality wrongly. The many things. It's impossible to do hospitality without it being many things. I mean, there's many things and then there's bazillions of things. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but it's always going to be many things. The contrast is to the one thing. And the one thing is not all of the hospitality. The, the one thing is the point of the hospitality. Right? The point of the hospitality. And so she misjudges Mary. She thinks she's selfish and lazy. In reality, Mary, it says, has chosen the good part. This is Jesus' judgment. And Jesus, when he judges, he looks at the heart, doesn't he? We look at the outward appearance. Jesus looks at the heart and he says, Mary has chosen the good part. Not selfishly. Okay? Not selfishly. This is not like... Uh, oh, let's use food. Okay? Food. If you've ever taken a big piece of meat and cut it up you know there are better and worse pieces, right? Or if you've ever made a plate of cookies, you know that there's the bigger ones or the, the ones that have more chocolate chips, right? And, and, well, except your cookies are always the same. So you don't have, you don't have to worry about that with hers. They're all, they're all full of chocolate chips and they're all the same size. It's perfect. It's great. Nobody gets to choose the good part. But, but with most of the time, if you get a plate of cookies, you can look and be like, I don't see many chocolate chips in that one, <laughs> right? I'm going to choose the good part. Or the, the piece of meat with the fat on it. I'm going to choose the good part. And that leaves everybody else getting the not good part, right? And so Mary has chosen the good part and poor Martha has to suffer for it. She gets the not good part. No. Not what we're seeing here, right? Mar Mary has chosen the good part, but what does that mean? 
if we want to stick, stick with food, um, it's kind of like she's sitting there at the table delightedly eating a piece of chocolate cake while everybody else is eating vegetables. That just seems kind of wrong, doesn't it? Analogies can only take you so far, but bear with me. Bear with me. Is food meant to be enjoyed? It is. And is cake often more enjoyable than vegetables? I'll ask the kids this one. It is. And so leave aside all of the health things and leave aside all of the, you, you know, all the places you can, just, just think, you're sitting there at a meal and there's one person enjoying it and the rest are grumbling. <laughs> Who's getting it right? The one who's enjoying it, right? The one who hasn't forgotten the point. And actually, come to think of it, maybe have to call on the adults to testify, can you enjoy vegetables? You can, right? In fact, they can be even ever so much more pleasing than a piece of cake. So now I want you to think, can you keep track of the point and practice hospitality? Or is hospitality antagonistic to the point? Can you serve Jesus and keep Him at the center while practicing hospitality? Or is it, by its very nature... Miserable. Hospitality is the worst. And yet, if you've ever been at a table where somebody's eating cake and you're still eating your vegetables. Anybody ever been there? Okay, I've been there. It's very easy to be jealous, isn't it? It's very easy to be jealous the way that Martha was jealous of Mary. Mary isn't taking away from what anybody else does or doesn't get to do. Martha felt that she was. That's because Martha had forgotten the one thing necessary. I'm going to use some other analogies now. Think about watching a movie together. Okay, you've got a group sitting in a room watching a movie together. And Mary is sitting contentedly enjoying the movie. She has not lost track of the point, right? And Martha, Martha's running back and forth, getting snacks and drinks for everybody, making popcorn, running to the store to get more drinks, cleaning up the nacho cheese dip that fell on the floor, getting some cookies into the oven, changing her dress where she spilled the wine. And she's upset that Mary isn't helping. Wouldn't you be? 
But if the point was to watch the movie, Mary chose wisely, didn't she? I put an if at the beginning, because watching a movie is not the point, right? Jesus is the point, but it's a good analogy. There are things that it's easy for us to lose the point in. In fact, it's, it's funny because we can even use hospitality and contrast it with some other point of an evening. If the point was to watch the movie, Mary chose wisely. Martha wants Jesus to tell Mary to get up and start missing large parts of the movie with her. But Mary chose the good part. What Martha should really do is remember the one thing and sit down and watch the movie. It's very easy for us to lose track of the point with hospitality. In fact, it's very easy for us to lose track of the point with all kinds of things. To forget the one thing necessary. Now let me take a step totally out of this picture and out of this story and just give another example of that that's not an analogy, but that is another moral example, okay? So, men often lose track of the one thing necessary with regard to work and their family. Very easy for them to give themselves so much to work that they cannot remember The one thing necessary. If you were to ask them why they do it, they would say it's to provide for my family. How can you get mad at me for working? Why are you correcting me? I'm just doing what's necessary for my family. But are they doing what's necessary for their family? You see what I'm saying? They have forgotten their family while they're saying that that's what they're doing. If you were to ask Martha, why are you so worried and distracted? She would say, because of Jesus. I'm trying to serve Jesus. Don't you see how important this is? But was she? No more than the man who never sees his family and supposedly is doing it for his family. It's very easy for us to lose track of the point. The one thing necessary. And so, yes, maybe the point is to enjoy enjoy an evening with your friends. Hospitality allows that. Somebody has to open their house to do that, right? I mean, you could go to a theater. Lame. You could practice hospitality and still enjoy a night with your friends as long as you don't lose track of the point, right? Now, we can then immediately fall into the air. The hospitality allows us to spend an enjoyable evening with our friends. Hospitality allows our friends to enjoy themselves better. Improved hospitality improves everybody's enjoyment. Better snacks, more enjoyable. More comfortable chairs, more enjoyable. And, and, the, and the potential for improved hospitality is actually infinite. 
there's always something more you could do to make it better for everybody, right? Improved hospitality improves everybody's enjoyment until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. Until you have forgotten the one thing necessary, the point of the evening. At that point, more hospitality just gets in the way. In fact, Martha is in the way here, isn't she? Her practicing of hospitality is causing problems. She's now interrupting Jesus to rebuke him and to tell him that he's gotten it wrong and that Mary is a little twerp and needs to be corrected. Now, how many times, kids, do you tell your parents, well, you need to tell so-and-so not to do that? Same problem, right? Keep coming back to it. Martha's causing problems with her understanding of hospitality now. She's not improving things with all the things that she's thought of to do. She's making it worse. Not because of her having thought of all the things to do, but because she has lost track, and now her service is serving a different goal. Her service is serving herself. It's no longer revolving around Jesus and the fact that Jesus is in her house. It's revolving around her. Why? Well, we can posit ideas. We can certainly think of human motives. We can understand ways that, that we would do that, right? Well, they're going to be comparing my hospitality to James' hospitality next door when Jesus goes over there, and I don't want to be compared to him and have that be such a better experience for everybody. For Jesus, it's Jesus after all. Doesn't he deserve the best? But Martha's in the way, isn't she? When I was in college, I was part of a small group at church that would go from house to house. Each uh, family would host just once a month. Um, And there was a family that was very, very wealthy and had a house in the nicest suburb, had a beautiful, beautiful drive, circle drive. Um, There was not a problem finding parking for everybody at that house. There was also a dining room that had a table big enough for everybody to sit down at, each with their own nice, plush, white, upholstered chair, silver goblets. I'm not joking. It was glorious. And it was miserable. And you know what? The husband of the wife who was putting this on, they were putting it on, right? But he understood that it was miserable. He was like, hey, guys, let's uh, go outside. I've got a cooler of beer out here. Let's get out. Let's get away from the oppression. Let's, let's, Let's escape to where we can actually remember the point.
What was the point of the small group? I don't know what the point of that small group was. I know that it wasn't met. And I confessed a few weeks ago that I'm pretty bad at keeping point on small group, right? You guys remember that? Okay. But I don't even know what I don't even know what the goal was there. I'm I'm not trying to say what her motives were. I just know that something else was in the way. Cultural expectations, fear of comparison to others, who knows, right? The point is, something else was in the way. And so there was no opportunity for us to actually have fellowship with one another at that time. Everyone was so uncomfortable trying to make sure that we lived up to the hospitality. How miserable is that? And, and by the way, you know, hey, there's a time and a place for everything. I think part of what was going on was she was just desperate to find the time and the place for that dining room. It wasn't. That wasn't the time, right? Maybe if the governor was coming over. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, hey, you got silver goblets? More power to you. I kept using that example of watching a movie. It's a poor example because who cares if you miss parts of a movie, right? The movie can't ever actually be the point. The point was to enjoy time with one another. You notice how I, I swapped it out there at some point in the, in the analogy? Okay. It's a poor analogy because you can watch it later. But this is real life that's happening with Martha and Mary. The prophet is coming to town. You're hosting him. And you're too distracted to hear the word of the Lord from the prophet? That's the point of a prophet. He has the word of the Lord. You don't want to miss it. It's the point. It's the main thing, right? The high priest is coming to your house. He's pronouncing a blessing on you and your family and your home. And you're looking over at the fish tank. Oh, there's not enough water in the fish tank. What? How can you be worried about other things right now? Why are you thinking about what the cleanup is going to be like tomorrow? The king is touring your village. Everyone's happy to get a chance to view him. Remember Zacchaeus climbed the tree, right? Oh, I want to, I want to be able to see him. The king's coming through. And he stops and turns to look at you. This has happened to Zacchaeus, right? 
It happened to Mary and Martha too. He turned. He didn't just look at them. He didn't just speak to them. He came into their home. To what? To give you some instructions. And what are you doing? Wondering whether there's enough coffee left for him? Wishing you'd gotten out the other blend that was better to grind that morning? And so what? You miss what he's telling you to do. How can you miss the king giving you instructions? How can you miss the prophet revealing the will of the Lord? How can you, how can you, how can you miss the priest with his blessing? Jesus is the point. And Mary gets it. And Martha doesn't. She forgets. She does. She forgets, right? Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king all rolled into one. I split them up so that you would have three pictures, right? But that's what was actually going on. The prophet, priest, and king was there. And yeah, he is the great and glorious high priest, king of kings, lord of lords. The thing, that one thing that was better than the prophets, the ultimate prophet, God in flesh. And so, is it true for us to say that nothing is too good for him? Yes. There is nothing too good for him. You can get out the best coffee you got, bring out the silver goblets. Nothing's too good for Jesus. Roll out the red carpet. Pull out all the stops. You know what's interesting? If that's true, and that is true, you know what that means? Remember that verse we read from Matthew? Nothing is too good for the least of these either, is it? Insofar as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. Have you rolled out the red carpet for the poor? For those who won't be able to pay you back? For those who don't have any worldly, obvious, outward glory? You have done it for Jesus. There is nothing that is too grand, too glorious, too over the top for you to provide in hospitality, right? In fact, Mary herself performs service to Jesus at another point. She serves Jesus by anointing his feet with expensive perfume. It's service to him. That's, that's how he describes it. She does so in emphasis of the point. She hasn't forgotten who Jesus is, right? She hasn't forgotten he's the main thing. 
while many, of course, think that she has lost the point. Because she's poured out this expensive perfume. No, nothing is too good for Jesus. But Jesus is not going to take away what Mary has. She has not chosen introspection and rest rather than work. She has chosen the good part. She has chosen to be with Jesus. The contrast is not between introspection versus service. It's between keeping the one thing central versus forgetting it. Mary keeps the one thing central when she goes to do service. There is obviously this contrast between Mary and Martha. But it is a mistake to see it as the choice to serve versus the choice to sit and listen. Here's what Calvin says about this. As this passage has been basely distorted, wickedly, terribly distorted, into the commendation of what is called a contemplative life. And this, by the way, is what you are being sold a bill of goods with, with the picture of the coffee cup sitting next to the Bible on the doily on the round table with the comfy chair next to it. Right? Okay. Distorted into the commendation of what is called a contemplative life, we must inquire into its true meaning, from which it will appear that nothing was farther from the design of Christ than to encourage his disciples to indulge in indolence. Indolence meaning laziness. Obviously, he's not encouraging laziness, right? Or in useless speculations. It is no doubt an old error that those who withdraw from business and devote themselves entirely to a contemplative life lead an angelical life. But it's an error, an old one, is what he's saying. So we must not take away from Mary and Martha, but the goal is to stop performing worldly acts of service and hospitality and to begin to give ourselves to just study of the word. In fact, there are two sides to Martha's error. The error being losing track of the main thing. And so you get a wrong view of service and hospitality. Being like Martha, you can try to do too much and get distracted and, and worried about all of what there is to do. But in the same error, you know what you can do? You can think that the bar is Martha's level of service, so you don't bother hosting Jesus at all. That would be dumb. Not practicing hospitality because you can't do it good enough? You see, that's thinking like Martha. It's the same mistake. It's placing the emphasis on the service rather than on the served. And so thinking like Martha will actually prevent us from serving if we make the burden too high. 
Feasts are meant to be eaten and enjoyed. Absolutely. If they're beautiful and that makes it more enjoyable, great. More power to you. A beautiful loaf of bread is better than an ugly one. Right? It's true. As long as you don't lose track of the point. As soon as you lose track of the point, then a beautiful loaf of bread is worthless. How often we forget the main thing in life. Kids, I'll leave you with this illustration as an example. Have you ever been to a car show? Any of you ever been to a car show? Now, I'm, I'm going to make maybe a, a, uh, an argument that not everybody will agree with. Car shows are an exercise in missing the point. Because cars are not meant to look at. A lot of men get confused and think that they are. But actually, cars are meant to drive. A car show, you drive. If it hasn't lost the point. Okay, maybe you don't agree with that one. But I think all the kids do. When you see a car, you want to ride in it, right? It's a very common problem for us to mix up the main point with the secondary. You know, uh, I did this all the time whenever there was Easter or Halloween, we'd get candy. And I would hoard it in a plastic bag under my bed. But what is the point of candy? To eat it. That is to enjoy it. And you cannot actually ever enjoy it when it is rotting and turning white and sticky and gross under your bed. You might think that that is the act of enjoying it, is the having of it, the hoarding of it, right? But that is to have lost the plot. That is to have forgotten the point. So let me end by reading one last example that brings it back specifically to this. This was from Pastor McNeely as we were talking about this. He says, it's easy for me to be a Martha when leading worship. That's crazy, right? How is that possible? Well, it's just as possible as it is to be a Martha when practicing hospitality. To lose track of the point. To forget the one thing that's necessary. He says, to be efficient. To get through the songs. Blah, blah, blah. But I have tried to discipline myself and those who help me to stop and pray. Even if we're running late and don't have enough time to get through everything. And during that time, we are not working. Not getting through the songs, right? 
And yet what we are doing is far more important than all the rehearsal in the world. So having kept track of the one thing that is necessary, you then realize that yes, there comes a time to end trying to be more hospitable, trying to get more done, trying to accomplish more practice, trying, and it's time to stop and to sit down at the feet of Jesus. If you never do that, you have totally lost the goal. You've forgotten the one thing necessary. So now in our service to one another, may it be unto the Lord. Right? Because isn't that the one thing that's necessary? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you by practicing hospitality to others, to the least of these. And Father, may we remember in all that we do that we are seeking to glorify you so that we will not lose the one thing necessary, but that so that we would instead Rejoice to serve. Rejoice to listen. Rejoice to rest. Father, remind us of these things day by day, we pray. That we would not get distracted and worried about the cares of this life. But that we would look to you at all times and in everything. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand and worship the Lord and remember this is not about threading words out through our vocal cords and our tongues. This is not about it sounding perfect and glorious. This is about what? It's about Jesus Christ.